0: good morning glad to see you're all still here well uh, we're coming to uh, the important uh, final leg of our retreat this morning it's like a horse race you know The, the race is not won at the beginning but at the end so I certainly encourage you to Maintain your concentration just for in the next couple hours, you know, we have the this talk and then an hour uh, Afterwards uh, some confessions will be available if anybody still hasn't been able to avail themselves of the sacrament of reconciliation But to to use that hour not to necessarily plan your getaway but uh, to ask the Lord, you know for special graces from this retreat I, I believe every retreat has a special grace and sometimes we know what it is sometimes we don't know what it is but we need to ask for it you know ask and you shall receive our Lord said so be confident in asking him uh, the other thing is uh, I heard this is kind of kind of a joke but you know you arrive at the retreat and everything is glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit and when you're leaving the retreat, you have a tendency to say, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be. You know, going back to reality. No. But just to say, you know, a retreat can be a life-changing experience. It's a, it's a point where you encounter our Lord in a special way when you're especially open to Him, and He has special graces to give to you. And it can really change a person's life you can point to a retreat and say, you know, it was at that retreat that uh, something happened, the Lord did this or that. And so, you know, the graces of retreat, yeah, they do come during the retreat itself, but in my small experience, uh, the the graces of a retreat many times come uh, in the days following. and So you have to be alert and watch for them, you know, and also the weeks and months following because it's like opening up a fountain you know that that flows into your life a fountain of living water um, so having said that I will get to your morning penance this is a, actually two songs put together it's the story of my life the first half I wrote before I came to the sisters here Uh, As their chaplain, and the second half I wrote a couple years ago, uh, as you know, taking up from when I was chaplain here uh, with the sisters all the way to the present day. It's a little bit uh, longer, uh, but that'll keep me from speaking so much afterwards. And there's a chorus that uh, you can easily um, sing along with if you want, (laughs) you'll get it pretty quick because it's repeated.
1: Sunday back in '55, and I'm happy to say that I'm still alive. Roamed through cornfields back in old Illinois, played hockey on the sidewalks when I was a boy. Oh no, oh yes, it's true. Where was Sixty-six. After high school bought me a brown TR6 Drove cross country for nearly a whole week My water pump broke I sprang a leak Oh no, oh yes, it's true Where would I be if not for you? Lived like a monk in Colorado Heard the call from the Lord And thought I'd follow That's what I've been doing just about Ever since Mexico, Italy Canadian mints Oh no, oh yes It's true Where would I be If not for you Sent to the Philippines Nearly seven years I sweat like a river Drank San Miguel beers Back stateside in South Central L.A. A white boy in the hood Is living every day Oh no Oh yes It's true Where would I be, if not for you? Three years as chaplain for the Carmelite nuns Had to mend my old habits, and watch my bad puns Then on to the stigmata of cold Michigan Between a rock and a hard place, again and again Oh no, oh yes it's true Where would I be If not for you Que alegria San Antonio Que puedo hacer And what can I say Santa Maria then When that too was done try tipping vineyards Off the 101, oh no, oh yes, it's true Where would I be if not for you? Margaret Mary's my love now, in old Lomita If you come down my way, I'll be glad to see you With so many moves both north and south Just whisper a prayer And shut my mouth, oh no Oh yes, it is true Where would I be if not for you? Twenty-six years doing the best I can The child become the father of the man Passing through water and through fire Left with nothing now but my only desire Oh no, oh yes, it is true Where would I be if not for you? Now someday when all this is done, we'll go fishing in heaven and have some fun. My time may be short now or it may be long, just give thanks to God that I'm gone. Oh no. Oh yes, it is true. Where would I be? If not for you Oh no Oh yes It is true Where would I be Lord If not for you
0: That's two songs in one. Uh, that's on a CD that I, it's called First and Last. It's probably over there in the library. Um, I thought I'd uh, share a bit about my personal testimony, uh, experience with my own family. Uh, I kind of felt like it's only fair talking about families. Um, and just to show that, you know, we're all together in this. Um, families are a bit like fudge. You know, they're mostly sweet, but they have quite a few nuts. <laughs> and I think looking back, you know, it's a good, it's a good thing to look back, you know, and, and not just see the difficult moments or the sorrowful moments, but the joyful moments, you know, the peaceful moments, the moments of God's providence and blessing And I definitely see his healing hand at work in in many things. Um, I had really wonderful grandparents. Uh, Three were from Ireland. Um, And their family, you know, they came over uh, and their, you know, the whole family basically came over through Canada after the potato famine, um, landed in Illinois. And one was from Germany uh, came, his family came over uh, after the culture camp persecution of Catholics in Germany. So three out of the four died when I was in kindergarten and first grade. And I remember attending their funerals and kind of peeking up over the casket to, to say a little prayer. But it left me with one really wonderful grandfather. We called him Pop. He uh, became deaf at the age of 40 because of uh, the big guns in World War I and also duck hunting in Wisconsin. (laughs) Uh, He smoked Prince Albert tobacco in a well-chewed pipe. Um, His wife, my grandma, uh, was an artist, and I remember sneaking into her studio after she died to kind of touch the handles of the brushes and the, the hardened oil paint on the, on the palette, and that was a big influence in uh, wanting to also paint myself. Um, turpentine and pipe smoke are still kind of perfume to me to this day. Uh, my parents were both born in Oak Park, Illinois. My dad came from very modest means. He lived one block from St. Luke's Parish in River Forest. Uh, my mom lived in River Forest. Um, he was an altar boy. He slept on the porch. He went to Fenwick High School, the Dominican school. My mom was a bit better off financially because of my pop's business. She um, lived just one block from Rosary College. Now it's a co-ed Dominican college. Um, her older sister Dorothy, my aunt, died of scarlet fever when my mom was or when she died uh, when she was 16, my mom's twin. No, actually, she's, uh, my mom's twin was Mary Jane, who died uh, at 16. She poked her finger on something and got blood poisoning. And then um, my Aunt Dorothy died two years later um, of scarlet fever. I can only imagine kind of what that must have been like for my mother. Uh, but as God has it... Um, her first cousin, my, I, my aunt Marilyn, um, her parents uh, uh, died in a um, car accident. And so my grandma took in Marilyn and her sister. And so God somehow replaced, well not replaced, but uh, I think saved my grandf- mother from having a nervous breakdown by giving her two other little girls to take care of. So, my mom had two more sisters. Isn't that beautiful? The ways of God's providence. Only He can bring good out of a bad situation, you know. My dad studied at Notre Dame. Uh, He was a seminarian for the Holy Cross Fathers until World War II when he joined the Navy. He served in both the Atlantic and Pacific theaters. Um, A little bit more on that later. Uh, My mom graduated from library science at Rosary, then went on to work at the Art Institute in Chicago in the slide library. We don't even have slides anymore, you know. After the war, uh, which my dad never really said anything about, he didn't finish his studies at Notre Dame because he met my mom and they got married, and thanks be to God for that because I wouldn't be here if they didn't. And now a bit about childhood. When I was born, I was so surprised I didn't talk for a year and a half. (laughs) I I found my birth certificate a few years ago, and I was was born at 9.56 a.m. on a Sunday, so I uh, wouldn't be late for Mass. (laughs) In St. Joseph's Hospital in Aurora, Illinois, which doesn't exist anymore. They tore it down after I was born. Until uh, the second grade, we lived in Wheaton, Wheaton, Illinois, which is where the big evangelical college um, is that has C.S. Lewis's private papers. Always loved Lewis. I attended St. Michael's School. I have a really vivid, beautiful recollection of my first Holy Communion, of that first moment when our Lord was inside of me. He didn't say anything to me, but I could tell he was kind of smiling and smirking. <laughs> I have five brothers and sisters, uh, older brother, older sister, younger brother, two younger sisters, and I guess that's how I learned how to dance, uh, waiting uh, to use the bathroom. <laughs> I think I had a pretty happy, free childhood. We used to you know the morning during the summers, you go out, you come back when you hear your mom yelling, "Dinner, you know. So a different world nowadays, isn't it? We, then we moved into a river, river Forest after my grandmother died to live with my pop so he wouldn't be alone. And we went to St. Luke's Parish, patron saint of artists, and uh, played hockey on the sidewalks. Used to pour water on the sidewalks in the driveway, and they would freeze overnight, and then we'd play. And my grandfather was not too thrilled with that. Um, But I remember winter evenings uh, with the den filled with his pipe smoke uh, as I edged my way to his candy jar. In the fifth grade, uh, we moved to New Jersey. Dad got a new job there, and uh, I became an academic star. Uh, By accident, really. (laughs) Because uh, the book they were using at St. Paul's School in New Jersey we had used the year before at St. Luke's. (laughs) And I knew all the answers. And everybody was looking like, oh, you're really smart. (laughs) And so I got myself a pair of nerdy glasses, and I started to try to live the part, and I started studying and all that sort of stuff. Um, I ran for president of the class. I did lose, but I did promise longer lunch hours. Uh, it's also when I fell in love for the first time in the seventh grade uh, to an older woman. Uh, she was our English teacher's sister, Christine. She, she, I thought she, you know, she, she was so beautiful. And um, she had this incredible joy of knowing Jesus Christ. And, and I was very unsure about whether I loved her beautiful face or loved this joy that came out of her face. And I wanted that. And I wrote, you know, I, I wrote her letters during the summer. Yeah, <laughs> it was just, you know, puppy, you know, just stupid, you know. And, I wrote, and she wrote me back very seriously, you know, answering my questions. And I was thinking about a vocation at the time. And, and then I found out that my sister found out. And started to rib me mercilessly, so I never wrote, uh, she was transferred that summer, and I was heartbroken during my 8th grade year. If you saw me walking around very sad, that was the reason. <laughs> but uh, she comes in later on. Um, she, uh, 17 years later, I met a, someone who, at a retreat, who was from the same order that she was from, and she's. And I said, well, maybe you knew a teacher I had way back in seventh grade. And she said, oh, Sister Christine? <laughs> and I said, yeah. <laughs> well, she's now, at the, she's now the abbess at Rentham Abbey for the uh, Cistercian nuns in Massachusetts. So I went up to visit her a few years ago, and she still remembered me. Uh, in fact, uh, the book of short stories, she was my English teacher, is dedicated to her. Yeah. Um, anyway, around uh, shortly after that, I went to Notre Dame High School, Catholic High School. Very, you know, I wrestled, uh, played football. Not, I wasn't very good. My friends were, were good athletes, and they were also kind of a little bit of a rough and wild bunch. And I just went along with them, you know, and they got kicked out of school for tying a, a cherry bomb to the front of our bus. <laughs> I didn't do it, but when they got kicked out, I insisted on going with them to the public school, and that was at Princeton High School. Um, and, you know, it was really the biggest mistake of my life, you know, because <laughs> I was just young and stupid, and now I'm just older and stupid, you know. but. <laughs> Again, that's why our foreheads are flat. Hmm. My mom was really worried because I was the first person in our family that went to a public school. And they had race riots there and there were Vietnam protests and cliques and factions and drugs. And, and I, didn't, I knew nothing about any of those things, but I just kind of, and I wasn't allowed to wrestle because of transferring schools. So I, I just started wo- painting and working on my artwork And that's when really life happened to me. Uh, Someone once said that the world is a grindstone and life is your nose. That's a pretty pessimistic thing, but um, during, when I was, uh, during those couple years in high school, my dad lost his job and he went, came out here to California to start up a business. And then he, he, for two or three years and, I didn't really realize what was going on, but at the time I... uh, But inexplicably and suddenly, he disappeared. And um, we had no contact with him. We were trying to find him. My mom was beside herself with worry and, and, you know, calling the police and the sheriffs and hospitals. and Well, about... um, Two months later, she got a letter from Reno, Nevada, from a lawyer saying dad was divorcing her for irreconcilable differences. And the thing was, you know, he had come home once or twice uh, during those couple years, and um, we didn't realize that he had found a, another woman out here, and that um, he cleaned out uh, my sister's college uh, Uh, Fund that my grandfather had set up, uh, among other things. And so uh, I went from being a, you know, kind of a, you know, the nerdy, goofy kid, innocent kid, even though, you know, my friends were a little bit, you know, rough. Uh, I went from that to just, you know, being an angry young man. I was a very angry young man. And my dad came, you know, wrote letters saying people change, life goes on. But I, I can't help feeling like a divorce is something like an amputation. You know, there's a little bit less of you there. It's very hard. I, I feel great love and compassion. Certainly know, and I understand how things can be, you know. So I never think a, a bad thought about anyone who gets divorced. I know how difficult it can be and what a great suffering it is. So um, I'm always, I always pray for, for uh, those that, are, that have this great cross, you know. And it happened uh, the very summer that my grandfather died and my mom uh, was diagnosed with cancer. And, what, you know, we used to have phones in the house in those days and there was one upstairs and one downstairs, and the phone rang and I was upstairs and I ran to get the phone and I didn't realize my mom had the phone downstairs and I, I should have hung up, but I didn't. And it was my dad talking to her and she told him that she was gonna have the operation that week and just, just the, the coldness in his voice, the not caring, the indifference, it just chilled me to the bone. And that, and I hung up very quietly. And it was, uh, to me it was like, uh, I don't know, it was just, it was a great wound uh, at that moment I feel I received in my heart. And um, things were kind of not much the same. We became very poor, thanks to my grandfather who left my mom a bit of an inheritance. But my mom dove into the secretarial typing pool at $1.90 an hour. Um, and yet, she was so good to me. Uh, me and my brothers and sisters, my older ones, we started working after school. During the summer, I baled hay uh, at a at a dairy, and then during the year, I worked two years at a warehouse, um, packing up you know little tchotchka items, you know, be like Amazon today, you know, that kind of thing, and shipping them off. My, the only, my only problem was I used to put little notes to people inside. <laughs> Hope you're having a good day. You know, I remember this fellow. He had his name, Mr. Wimple, You know, Mr. Whipple. And I, I remember writing to him, "Where's the Charmin?" <laughs> That's you have to be old enough to. to but um, I didn't get fired because of that. And anyway, I, I graduated Princeton High School, and I, I went to Boston University for a semester uh, in the Fine Arts program, but I realized it was just too expensive. The third story in my, my short storybook has a little bit to do with that experience. Um, I went to, then I came out here to CalArts, California Institute of the Arts, uh, it used to be Uh, just Valencia, but now it's Santa Clarita. I was the mid-70s, it was a really wild time there, but I was was just very tame. Uh, I lived a very kind of monastic life, very alone, but I I did meet some really good friends, thanks to the Lord. They weren't Catholic, but they were really good. They all came to my ordination. Uh, they were artists and animators. Animators are really weird people. <laughs> but they're really nice people, you know. They're always like looking in the mirror going, <laughs> you know, trying to figure out which movement to do on some, which character, you know. One friend, he, he got a big job. He's, he became a big animator at, um, at Disney, and so I'm going to name drop. Uh, he, we used to draw each other, you know. And he did this drawing of me, and he said, someday I'm going to put this in one of our our, uh, our animations. And so, uh, in the beauty and the beast, he, he called me and said, well, this is it. I said, oh, the beast? <laughs> he said, no, when the beast transforms, that's going to be you. And so, he, at, at my ordination, uh, he brought me a, a hand-drawn picture of the the moment of transformation when the beast turns into the the human being, and I think that's what the Lord did to me. Um, so I'm very grateful to Glenn, and uh, he really helped me a lot because uh, he was a good Christian and he loved our Lord, and he helped me to realize that I had to. I was so miserable that I had to really turn to Jesus. I had to turn to Jesus every time I. Past the Catholic Church, um, it was like, you know, Star Trek or Star Wars, you know, the tractor beam,
1: <laughs>
0: you know. Scotty,
1: we need more power to pull away. <laughs> it won't take much more, Captain.
0: <laughs> you know, and I felt the Lord, you know, in the Eucharistic, his Eucharistic presence just pulling me in, pulling me in. and But I still was resisting mightily, you know. And I graduated. I went to Yale for a, I got a scholarship to Yale for a semester. Graduated from Cal Arts. Went down to the beach to live in a tiny little room uh, and to paint and to write. Um, I, my my dream had always been to do illustrated books. Uh, the illustrated the, the little simple illustrations on the on the first page of every story are just little ink you know simple ink drawings with a Japanese brush, um, and so my dream was kind of realized. It um, took many years, um, but uh, so then, you know, my paintings were not selling that well when I was living in Santa Monica, and so I decided to do a really drastic thing that had never really occurred to me before in my life, get a job. So I worked for a buddy of mine. He had two stores, one in Boulder, Colorado, one in Denver, and I, I managed those stores. It was a great thing because I learned a little bit about, you know, how to manage a business, and it's really good for me now in the parish. It helps me a lot. And I was reading Thomas Merton. My dad knew Thomas Merton. He used to go down to Gethsemane, you know, in the old days, and, and Thomas Merton would give retreats to lay people. And, and so I always grew up with this idea of Thomas Merton, you know, and um, so I was reading No Man is an Island, and I realized that it's really true, I have to connect. I felt the Lord calling me. I was living like a monk, but I wasn't going to Mass or to church, and finally I felt, okay, I'm going to go back. And I said, okay, Lord, I'm going to do you a big favor. I'm going to go back to Mass. So I there was Sacred Heart Parish in Boulder, and I went, went there on Easter Sunday. Yeah, this is a good day, you know. So I walked in, and the, the priest was at the amble, and he saw me coming in during his homily. And he looked at me, and he said, You! You're not going to receive communion today! And I thought, well, you know, that's really very true. <laughs> I need to go to confession, and, and I am not worthy to come back to you, Lord. You know, I've sinned against God and against you, Father, so I'm just going to go away. So I went, away, I went back, and I thought, well, okay, Lord. If you don't want me, I'll just try to, you know, schlep through as best I can. But it kept coming to me. There's another parish in the town. There's another parish in the town. Boom. St. Thomas Aquinas up on the hill, the University Parish. um, The priests were kind of hip, you know, skiing priests. (laughs) And I thought, ooh, I could deal with that. So I went to, I started there, and I went back back to Mass, and I arrived late. (laughs) But now I realize it was Divine Mercy Sunday (laughs) that had not been Instituted yet by John Paul, but I walk in, and these two—the first foreigners, really—it I, 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 amazes me to think about this now. But the first two people from another country that I ever met in my life, Luis and Maria, from Baja California, they were studying macroeconomics, married, two kids there, and they—they they saw me entering late, around the time of the Offertory. And they, they, they came back, they grabbed me by the elbow, and they said the only two words in Spanish that I knew. Arriba, arriba, andale! Which I knew from Speedy Gonzalez on Saturday morning. And so they put the bread and the wine into my hands, and they're pushing me up the aisle, and Father Mike Martin, all six foot eight of him, had his arms spread wide open like a, a California condor <laughs> ready to embrace me and I'm thinking, oh Lord, I still need to go to confession. <laughs> and, and But it was a different, it was, my life was really different. He, he gave me those two wonderful people, beautiful. I, we started to pray, we started having fun. We started, I, I don't know if you're familiar with that drink they have in Argentina called Mata. You know, it looks like marijuana in a cup, <laughs> and with a, like a steel spoon. It's a tea. It's a tea, and people drink it. And they were drinking that, and and you know, we were so happy and so joyful. and I was so happy to know the Lord again, and all these graces were flooding into my soul. And we were, we were drinking this tea, and all of their neighbors thought that we were high. <laughs> really, you know, it's like on Pentecost they thought they were all drunk. And it wasn't true, you know. But I I realized I discerned my vocation there. And the the key point for me was when Maria, all four foot ten of her, but a powerhouse, she said to me, Pablito, I need a ride tomorrow morning. I said, well, I could do you a favor, (laughs) you know. Uh, Well, not tomorrow morning, she said, uh, tomorrow to Mass. And I said, oh, what time? And she said, 6 o'clock. I said, yeah, I'll be there at 5.30 p.m. <laughs> oh, no, no. Six in the morning. What? <laughs> you know, I was still in the artist mode, you know. Sleeping late. Staying up late. And so I thought, well, I'll do this little lady a favor. I'll take her to Mass, you know. And I, and I start going to daily Mass, and that was it. That was it. The priest, he was, you know, probably just giving meat and potato homilies, trying to make it through the Mass. But he was very reverent, very loving, and every single word he spoke went directly to my heart. And I realized the Lord was calling me, and I could not deny it. It was a very powerful experience. And so began the great adventure of looking for a religious community and finding one. And I went to Baja, California to have a show of paintings. And that's kind of where I found my community. The priest, as I was, I was in this little museum, and, and before the show was about to open, this, this bearded guy who looked like Jesus jumped through the window. And he happened to be the local priest from the local parish in the community that I eventually joined here in the States. And um, I started the adventure of religious life philosophy in Canada, some theology in Chicago, novitiate in Los Angeles, Mexico, in a slum area outside of Mexico City, Cincinnati. I Then they sent me to Rome for three years. John Paul was there. Um, and so it was, it was a very difficult experience. I was the first American in 12 years. And I realized something that Outside of the U.S., that a lot of countries don't like Americans, and so it was a very tough experience for me uh, to be disliked—not be, because I was a Christian, but because I was an American. You know, but I did my best to be a real Christian, and I, I made it through uh, and finished my theology in a, in a year early. And I started a, an advanced degree, but then they said, oh, you're too old, you have to come back, uh, you're gonna go to the mission. So they were gonna send me to Africa and then in Malawi, and then there was a big problem in that country with the, you know, the, the president for life, would not give the visas and because uh, uh, the, the bishops had criticized his economic policies so he kidnapped them, he was gonna feed them to the crocodiles. And uh, luckily, uh, uh, one of the generals, who was a Catholic, and the U.S. embassy and British embassy saved them. But he wouldn't allow any new missionaries in. I was going to run an art school, but instead, and very beautifully and providentially, uh, my community sent me to the Philippines for seven years. And it was uh, it was a wonderful experience. The people are fantastic. The traffic was horrible. The weather was really tough. I would be, for three months of the year, it was so hard, I had hives, heat rash over my entire body. Uh, but it was a good place to be a, a young priest and to, to travel. Um, and one day, I traveled by, by pedicab, which is someone riding a little bicycle and you in a sidecar, uh, motorcycle with six people on it with me through a banana field, uh, jeepneys, Uh, on a boat, uh, on a bus, and on a plane. I figured, well, I ticked them all off. Now I can, you know, say that I've done it. I was sent back to uh, South Central L.A. after my time there, and I was an associate for three or four years at Holy Cross and St. Cecilia's, uh, dealing mostly with the violence of the gang culture uh, it was all all Spanish. we had thirteen masses every um, every Sunday uh, so now, when I only have three or four it 's like ooh, this is a breeze um, and uh, it was It was a tough experience. Uh, did a lot of funerals for kids that were killed, bystanders that were killed, and I realized that I needed a break when the last kid that I buried, the parents opened his his coffin, and they allowed him to be buried in his gang colors, with his bling, and his sunglasses, and his T-shirt, and his long shorts, and uh, I just realized, you know, I can't, I can't. You know, I was getting too good at it. You know, I was getting too good at doing funerals, where. It, at first it used to affect me a lot, but then at the end it was not affecting me at all. And I realized, oh no, i got to take a break. And for various other reasons, uh, the Lord brought me here. And for three and a half years, I have to say it was the happiest three and a half years of my priesthood. Because I think it's really where I learned the value of the priesthood. You know, living with these sisters here who are so clear about their own vocations it made me very clear about my own. And sitting in the PDR, the priest's dining room, uh, I, I realized that, you know, because of so many struggles and sufferings and, you know, things in my own community, that I had started to really actively dislike priests, and yet I was a priest. And what saved me was these guys coming through here from all over the country coming to give retreats like this, you know, and, and they were just so good, and I couldn't believe it, and I realized, no, Lord, you're, you know, yes, there, there are a lot of guys out there struggling, but there's a lot of good priests still, you know, really solid, solid guys, and, and they inspired me, and they helped me. And, and I thank the Lord for what the sisters did for me, too. Even though I had to get, get up and say that 6.20 a.m. mass. <laughs> I wrote a song called 6.20 a.m. Blues. <laughs> and uh, when I, I, I meant to give it to the mother at the time. And, uh, but you know what she did? She played it over the intercom for all the sisters <laughs> during the summer. And I think it was Sister Anastasia, who was one of the elderly sisters, lovely, lovely. Uh, she, she was standing outside here, and I was walking by, and she goes, Father Paul, yes, Sister, I heard your song. <laughs> what song, Sister?
1: 6.20 a.m. blues.
0: <laughs> After that, I couldn't hold my head up high anymore. <laughs> anyway. So, to conclude, um, you're probably wondering when I was going to get to that. <laughs> I had to leave here because I had to make up my mind about becoming a diocesan priest or joining another religious community. And I went to help a bishop out in Michigan with a huge, gigantic problem he was having in his diocese. And, but he was shortly made Archbishop of St. Louis. And he said, well, I could, you know, he was leaving, it so my, basically my life was flapping in the wind, as it were, and uh, and so I decided to come back to the place, at least that I knew here in L.A., where I had some friends and the sisters, and um, I decided to incarnate, so they sent me to East L.A. I was one of two gringos, yeah, I was at San Antonio de Padua Parish, the Probably the poorest, one of the poorest parishes in Los Angeles, About a lovely place, lovely people, all Spanish. And then after one year, no, after three years, they sent me to Santa Maria, Mary of the Assumption, which I really loved up there. Uh, so I was starting to ask myself, first they put me in the poorest parish, then they sent me to the furthest one away. What are they trying to tell me? But uh, when I came, when I was uh, applying for the diocese and the vicar for clergy called me, he said, uh, we want to, you know, I, I had left Michigan in a, you know, just probably not a good situation, and I was very upset and didn't know what was going to happen with my life, and it was June the 13th, and I said to St. Anthony, well, well, pal, you've always been my friend, uh, something is lost and cannot be found, I need to find my place And so, three months later, I get a call from the vicar for clergy, and he goes, well, we have this parish here, um, San Antonio de Padua, would you like to go there? And I I realized San Antonio was was answering me, and I said, well, who's the pastor? And he goes, uh, he said the name, and he was a guy that I was in the novitiate with 20 some years before, so we were friends, and it was a, a confirmation, and Well, I made it through San Antonio, Antonio, Santa Maria, and then all of a sudden I was transferred after one year to Lomita, California. I said, what's Lomita? A bowl of Japanese noodles? (laughs) No, it's a town near Torrance in St. Margaret Mary, and I'd been there for five and a half, almost six years as pastor, well, administrator and now pastor. And um, what happened to me was I, I thought that I had pretty much forgiven my dad and been healed of all the wounds of the past, you know. And those wounds, but then I, I realized in my discernment process and even my own actions and attitudes, uh, I would get very depressed, uh, very discouraged. Uh, I, I often felt abandoned and rejected. I felt even, I felt very far from God many times. And I realized that, that um, I still had a lot of healing to be done, and but those those things kept recurring, recurring, you know, in my assignments, uh, in my in my personal life, and um, I realized that really I needed the healing of the Lord. It was just like two or three months ago here I went to a retreat of that Unbound, and I led you through some of those exercises because it was really worthwhile for me to. Uh, to be uh, liberated. You know, I was being pushed around. I had these wounds and, you know, the evil spirits were uh, kind of persecuting me and attached to those things. And I didn't realize, quite honestly, that I had the power to get rid of them. And so from that retreat, it kind of opened my eyes and I've been just, you know, getting rid of them ever since and I feel very, I feel like a new lease on life, you know, after I celebrated 25 years of priesthood, 26 last Wednesday, and I thought 25 years of struggling with this and Lord, you've given me light and liberation and it's still, you know, we all have our trials and weakness and struggles, but I'm so grateful to God because the father, father has just saved me through Jesus once again, you know, he saved me so many times and we all need a savior, don't we? Um, more than ever. And so the Father has blessed me, and I realized that I, I wanted to share some of that experience with you because I want the Father to bless all of you, you know. He is your your heavenly Daddy. And no matter, even if I had this distorted vision of God because of what happened with my dad, uh, I feel the Father kind of restoring a beautiful uh, the true image of the Father for me. And so I, I praise Jesus and I thank him every day. I still have to overcome my fears and my anxiousness sometimes and my insecurities. Uh, but I do that, I say, you know, uh, in the name of Jesus, I, uh, I renounce the lie that, that I am not loved or I'm, I renounce the lie that I am no good or I'm, I can't be good enough. And in the name of Jesus, I take authority over these spirits and I send them away. And then you peaceful, you know. So I encourage you to do that for yourselves. And I thank you for all your patience. I'm not proud of many things uh, in my life, but I'm certainly proud of what God has, has accomplished. Uh, and I'm so happy to be a priest, even in, in these kind of dark times. Um, we need, we need uh, priests and religious and lay people, especially to persevere in the faith. And I think that's the whole purpose of this retreat, to encourage you, to encourage you, you know, and to, to know that the Lord is with you. And no matter what you're suffering, you know, he can bring good out of a bad situation. And no matter what situation your family is in, he loves them and he's with them and he's gonna hear all of your prayers. Now, the, end of the, the real end of the story was my dad came home to us after 17 years. He had a stroke on the, the footsteps of a hospital. He had an uh, operation where they removed the top part of his brain. He, we couldn't get him back, he was in Australia because you know the airline wouldn't accept him until he was completely healed. His wife didn't want him anymore, so we took him back. And we took care of him the last eight years of his life. And he used to wear a rosary around his neck. And he couldn't, he couldn't remember the Hail Mary, but I asked him, Dad, you know, you got that rosary around your neck. You look like Madonna. <laughs> and when I would visit, you know, and he, and he just smiled. And he never admitted that he did anything wrong. I don't think he could. But those eight years were such a blessing because we all forgave, you know, we all forgave. We all came to terms that God has, you know, done great things for us. And the chaplain of the, the VA hospital that he was in, right next to my sister's house, uh, he, he came to me after dad died and he said, you know, your dad was a saint. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? He had become a saint. Those eight years he suffered, he never complained. Always had a good word for everybody kind word. He reverted to the old Irish sayings that his parents used to speak to him, you know. And uh, he uh, received communion every day. And I really do believe that God brought him to holiness and made him a saint. And that he's praying for me. And one day I asked him, you know, Dad, how do you pray the rosary if you can't remember the Hail Mary? He said, I know the Memorari. I can remember the memorari, which kind of means memory, right? <laughs> and so he would pray 50 memoraries. And I said, Dad, well, what do you pray for? And he, he had this moment of clarity, just this moment, and he said, Don't you know I'm praying for you? So that was the father speaking through my father, you know. And it was a great word of encouragement and a beginning of a healing process for me. So I encourage all of you, healing comes slowly, but it comes. And just keep asking the Lord, trusting in the Lord, trusting in the Blessed Mother. Keep praying and persevere in your faith. And the Lord will reward you, as the dear sisters here say so often. God bless you all.